Welcome to the TCU Innovates Podcast. For over 150 years, Texas Christian University has been at the forefront of innovation, and we're just getting started. I'm TCU Chancellor Victor Bashini, And I'm TCU President Daniel Pullen. We are your hosts of TCU Innovates. Here, we highlight the latest stories of innovation and thought leadership across our community. Dream big, be bold, and lead on, Horn Frogs. Hey, everybody. Thank you for tuning in to our all-new podcast. Uh, this actually marks my first episode for TCU Innovates, and I am excited to visit uh, with the one and only Mike Scott, who serves Texas Christian University as our Associate Vice Chancellor for Enrollment, which is an all-important fa- function and task uh, that uh, uh, annually marks the continuation of uh, our student body. Mike, thanks for being here on the show with us today. Sure. Thanks for having me. All right. You know, I don't mess around, so let's jump right okay. in. So tell me, how did you become a horn Frog? Well, you know, the, I actually started uh, at TCU as a transfer student back in hmm. 1980. I came in as a, a sophomore transfer. I knew about TCU my entire life. I grew up in the Disciples Church, so I had spent summer camps and things like that for pretty much my entire life around TCU. Um, so anyway, so I came, I came in as a student in 1980, graduated, left for a while, and Ended up coming back to work for TCU full-time in, uh, I think it was 1988. And we were talking just a minute ago that, uh, as a lot of people you will meet at TCU, I came in thinking I'd stay here for a couple of years, maybe get a master's degree, then decided, you know, to decide what I want to do when I grow up after that. And that was 36 years ago, and and I'm still here. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. Well, you made a big a big mark here, and I get, we're doing a podcast today, so I know that one of your degrees is in radio and <laughs> film, so <laughs> yeah. you know to be old hand at this. Uh, but it's been it sounds to me like TCU's been a really great decision for you, and you've certainly contributed so much. I know um, it was my honor, along with Chancellor Bashini, um, this year to award you and your wife Karen, mm-hmm. who's the director of our international admissions program, mm-hmm. uh, with the um, the joint TCU Impact mm-hmm. Award. Uh, tell us a little bit about that moment. Well, yeah. First, I'd have to say, if you ask anything about my accomplishments at TCU, meeting Karen has got to be, you know, right up there at the top. Uh, I'd, I'd have to say that. We started, interestingly enough, we found out later, by the way, that Karen and I were both here as students at the same time. Huh. And we never knew each other. We we didn't meet until I came back. Probably the seminal event of, of my being here that, that ultimately got me interested in the bigger picture and moving into the overall enrollment area was a program that Dr. Boschini started after he came to TCU. He had hosted, uh, some of you know what an ACE fellow is, where th- these are, are Generally, I think deans, provosts, that level at another university who are interested in being presidents and and they come and spend a year mentoring or being mentored by uh, a sitting president or chancellor. And and Dr. Bashini had done that, thought that it was a pretty good idea and, and, and enjoyed it. But then he, he started thinking, I guess, why not do that for someone internally instead of bringing someone in from the outside? So I spent two years on the cabinet uh, following the chancellor around, and that sort of did it. That was what got me really motivated to make uh, TCU, the re- to stay at TCU the remainder of my career, and to try to take over more of a leadership role within the entire division. Yeah. Well, I mean, it sounds like, you know, your commitment to lifelong learning through your executive mm-hmm. MBA, your willingness to step up and participate in advanced leadership opportunities kind of gives you the the skill set and experience to be you know, an outstanding steward of the resources mm-hmm. that were entrusted. 
um, a lot of those resources in the spirit of uh, attracting the best and brightest students to enroll here and uh, the spirit of maintaining a commitment to not only excellence but access really involves scholarships and financial aid. And that uh, business acumen and that experience in higher education, no doubt, allows us to continue to be relevant and yield and, and really propel mm-hmm. some of the most amazing young minds um, of any, any university in the country. Um, so let's talk, let's talk numbers a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, how much financial aid does TCU award each year? When I ask people that question frequently, just to, just to see the look on their face when I tell them the answer, uh, because the, the common reply is $10 million, maybe, you know, something like right. that. Uh, I took a quick look before I came over this morning of just for this year, this current year so far, the aid office has distributed in total now, this is from everything, from federal, state, institutional, everything, over $400 million wow. in, in financial assistance this year. Some of that are student loans, some of that a little bit of its work study, but the majority of that is grant and scholarship or what we call gift aid. Um, the, the more important number, I think, in there is that over $300 million of that is money that TCU provides. Most of the money that comes from the, the federal government and the state is from the loan programs, not from grant funding. TCU's 300 some odd million is all gift aid. Yeah, which is, uh, you know, in many cases, uh, you know, the, the best kind oh, absolutely. Uh, from the perspective <laughs> yeah. of, a, of a student and, uh, and their family and support network. Um, mm-hmm. I know that uh, scholarships have always been a priority mm-hmm. here, but, you know, last fall when we celebrated the successful mm-hmm. completion of our $1 billion lead on capital campaign, you know, scholarships rose directly to the top of the list. Uh-huh. And, you know, I'm just so proud to to see our ability to um, ensure that students uh, who have outstanding academic credentials and or financial need that the uh, access to the world-class degree at TCU is uh, is quite achievable. Right. And um, that's had a, really everything to do with our uh, success. Um, you know, if you read the popular press and people are talking about the cost of college and, um, you know, what's, what some of the trends are, and I want to get to that in a second, you know, sometimes you hear this uh, word uh, called discount rate. What, uh, uh, what does that mean really, and how does that impact our enrollment strategy here at TCU? That, that's a really good question. Did, discount rate is, is something that uh, the financial aid director obviously and an enrollment manager keeps a very close eye on. But but the discount rate at an institution is basically the percentage of their tuition revenue that they forfeit or that they give back to students in the form of, of scholarships and, and grants. And, and at, the, at the risk of, of getting too far in the weeds, within the discount rate, though, what's important within that overall number is what we call the funded discount versus the unfunded discount. Funded discount is exactly what you just referred to. It's, that comes from the endowment. That comes from gifts where donors give us money and say, uh, here's my gift. I'd like to endow this scholarship for uh, students in the radio department at TCU and that's what we do with that money. We, we give it for scholarships. It's donor designated. Other pieces of the discount are not funded. So they're coming out of general revenue. Uh, so what that means is that every dollar that you put into financial aid is a dollar you can't do something else with, like buy equipment or build buildings or hire faculty, what, what have you. So it's a, it's a very delicate balance to manage the discount to make sure you're providing access to as many students as possible, but also not impacting the operational budget or the ability of the university to operate. That's, in essence, what the 
discount is. I've been here about five years now, and given the importance of your role, you were one of the very first people I uh, sought out to really understand, you know, our strategy and the nuances of, of, of what mm. you and your team does. And I'll never forget in that first meeting, you <laughs> said to me, schools with higher discount rates are doing that for only one of two reasons. Mm -hmm. What are those two <laughs> reasons for our listeners? Yeah, this is something I, I love to share, remind people. Schools have high discount rates um, for one of two reasons, because they can or because they have to. From a student perspective, it's a little blurry because from a student perspective, you would think, well, I'd like to go, I'd rather go to a school with a really high discount rate because that means they give away more money. So I might get a, a, a larger financial aid award rather than this other school, maybe that discounts at a lower rate. Some schools discount at a very, very high rate because that's the only way they can attract students to come to the university. And that's good for the student in that they may have gotten a nice scholarship, but then you look at the university and you see maybe their fiscal plan is suffering or the, you know, their classrooms aren't up to date or whatever. And that's generally because they are spending so much of their revenue just on financial aid. So the, it helps the students on one side, but then they suffer on the other side by not getting the quality uh, that they might expect from that university. TCU is in an enviable position in that we have made considerate uh, incremental increases to our discount over the last 10, 15 years that were very strategic, uh, very well thought out, and we did that because we could. We, we weren't forced into doing that. We did not have to do that to make our class or to attract students to TCU. We could do it because we had the resources to do that and because that then enabled us to sort of mold or shape a class that meets the institutional's enrollment goals. I get it. And, you know, to be in a position of being deliberate um, and choosing a course of action versus reacting to you know something that's been thrust upon you has mm -hmm. had a great deal to do with um, the rising uh, mm -hmm. aptitude and aspirations of our student body over the years. Uh, you mentioned earlier uh, a comment about how over time we've been increasing as a percentage of our enrollment students from uh, lower and middle economic mm -hmm. uh, statuses. Um, and I think that's that's valuable as we prepare um, and not just educate, but prepare leaders for for society, regardless of background and starting point. Mm -hmm. Sometimes, though, um, when you have a, a tuition rate of, say, X level, parents and others um, have questions about the cost of higher education in general and specifically higher education at a private university mm -hmm. like TCU. Mm -hmm. what, what, what's your approach to that? It, it can be a difficult conversation with some families and, and we get that. We talk a lot on, on both the admissions and the financial aid side about what the university is doing to, to provide access. When, when you talk about going back just a second there to the discount rate, what you're really talking about from a student perspective where that comes into play is what's actually going to be the net cost, not the sticker price, if, if you will. I hate to use that. I hate that term, but but it's true. It, you know, it's it's what are you actually going to pay, and does that fit in within not only your budget but your your value decision of what you want out of a college? You know, over the what I think over the last ten years, uh, tuition has gone up something a little over forty seven percent, which is a lot. But the financial aid budget has grown at something like one hundred and seventy percent. So we've been able to to keep up with and, and outpace, or at least you know, make great strides towards keeping that that access uh, realistic for most students. I, I mentioned earlier I've been here thirty six years. I honestly maybe maybe it has happened and I've just forgotten, 
But I don't remember a year in 36 years that we didn't increase the financial aid budget, at least the percentage that we increased tuition. Yeah. So that that has, has been a great thing. What uh, I think many in um, higher ed are struggling with is uh, some of the changes to the mechanisms uh-huh. to be um, eligible for that need-based aid. And we have these acronyms called FAFSA and CSS. <laughs> yeah. Talk to us about what each of those um, items are. And then, um, you know, what are some of the changes that uh, sure. we're seeing? The FAFSA is the is the federal financial aid application. It's the free application for federal student aid. The information provided in the FAFSA is what the federal government says universities must use to determine eligibility for federal financial aid programs. And that means basically the Pell Grant, College Work Study is a federal program, and the federal loan programs. So the the feds say, here's our money um, that you can offer in financial aid, and here's how you will determine who gets it. And by the, the mechanism to kick that off is the FAFSA. Behind the scenes on the FAFSA, what families don't really know is a a very complicated methodology that looks at many different variables in a family uh, family situation, not just their income. Assets come into play, the number of family members, the state you live in, the age of the older parent, all of those things can impact the ultimate outcome of of what the FAFSA says or the FAFSA process says this family is eligible or able to pay. It gets a little convoluted. Sometimes um, the result, I will tell you this, when a family gets the results of the FAFSA that says, theoretically, we think you should be able to contribute or pay this much. In the 36 years I've done this, I've never once, not one single time, had a family sitting at my desk, look at that number and look up at me and go, yeah, that looks about right. I think that I can pay that. You know, no one, no one agrees with the results of, of the FAFSA. And we get that. Uh, we get that. Every financial aid officer in every school in the country gets that. So that's what the FAFSA does. And at many universities, that's all you do is the FAFSA. We have a second form, uh, and, and a lot of schools like TCU also use this, called the, the CSS profile. CSS means the College Scholarship Service. And, and, and this is something that's put out and, and managed through the college board, the same people that do AP and the SAT. Whereas the FAFSA is based on what we call federal methodology, which is determined by Congress and interpreted and and enacted by the Department of Education, the profile uses a similar methodology. We call it institutional methodology, but it is created and maintained by volunteer financial aid directors all over the country working with the College Board. You know, it might not come as a surprise to, to you to know that some people think that maybe we could actually do a little bit better job than the government in determining what your financial situation is and what the reality is for for your family. So schools that require you to to file a CSS profile are using that for their institutional money, just their own money. Well, you know, I I was talking about those big numbers earlier. In the undergraduate class um, this year, the federal grant money that they received was was a little over $6 million. From the state of Texas, they they received maybe $3.5 million. From TCU, they received about $250 million. Wow. Okay, so, so it wouldn't surprise you to know that in managing our $250 million, we might want to look at this a little differently. <laughs> so the profile, just in a, it, it asks some additional questions that are not on the FAFSA. It, it enables schools to tweak the method, methodology even 
to customize it a little bit to make it appropriate for their students and for the area of the country they're in or, or various other things. And the results are what we use to determine eligibility for our own funding. So yeah, it's a little bit of a hassle. You have to file two forms, but it does give a much better picture of the family's ability to pay and, and, mm-hmm. and our, our way of interpreting that in order to, to help as many people as possible. So, you know, we're going to wrap up here in a second, but I'd be remiss if I didn't go back to the theme of our podcast, which is all about innovation and dreaming big. So let's close with one last question. Mike, what is your big dream for TCU? (laughs) I tell people uh, in in leadership positions at TCU, from what I do, now there are lots of different ways to look at this, but from an enrollment perspective, what sets TCU apart maybe from some of those aspirant schools that we might look at is that those schools are able to meet the, the need 100% of the need of all the students who apply. And we do a great job at meeting a lot of need, but we don't meet all the need. And to continue to build the endowment, to build the resources that we need, which would enable us to say to a student, if you come to TCU, if we admit you and you come to TCU, whatever that need is that that you determine or that we determine from this financial aid process that's so crazy, we're going to meet that need with gift aid out of that gift bucket and I think when we get to the point where we can do that for, if if not all, certainly the majority of our students, that will set us apart greatly or to a great extent. The, the other piece of it um, that I really want to see is when, when Chancellor Bashini first got here, one of the first things he started talking about was retention and, and looking at retention. And we had not done a lot. Uh, quite honestly, or back in, in those days. And so he, he got a group of us. He asked me to chair it. And we started looking at what was TCU's retention? How does that compare nationally? Where can we go? And at the time, I think we were 82% uh, and 82% retention rate, which was dead solid average for a school like TCU. And of course, Chancellor uh, Machini is not real happy being average. So he charged us with increasing that. And, and, and as most of you know, uh, this past year, it was 94%. That is incredible. That's that's something that we probably don't brag about enough. That puts you in rarefied air uh, when you're an instu- institution that has a 94% uh, retention rate. So my dream also is to see that not stop and to see it continue in, into the Project 90 uh, and, and getting the graduation rate even higher than it is. And a piece of that will be taking the fin- finance concern out of that. So if, if you're able to meet need, those will go very well hand in hand. Yeah, well, it's a great testament to the progress that's occurred, uh, but also um, the lack of complacency as we set our sights even higher. Well, you've certainly set the standard, Mike, over the years. Cannot thank you enough for your leadership. Um, and thanks for joining uh, me on my first podcast. <laughs> thanks. And thanks to all our listeners for uh, tuning in. Uh, we'll catch you next time and go frogs. The TCU Innovates podcast is recorded at the KTCU studio in the Bob Schieffer College of Communications at Texas Christian University. Thank you to our student producer, George Kamar, and the entire KTCU team for supporting our show. Go Frogs!